1: Coming to you from Classic City,
0: the capital of the Bulldog Nation,
1: it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by MyBookie, where you can create a new account right now, today and use the promo code UGA to double that first deposit. Our mission here all season long, not only, of course, is to cover the Georgia Bulldogs, but not only that, we also want to help you guys win some money. we got our weekly picks that we're going to give you each and every week, and we're going to hand out as many winners as we possibly can. And to make those count, you've got to sign up for an account at MyBookie. So do it now. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. As you guys know, I'm Tyler and Charlie is back from the dead and here with me in studio today. Charlie, I'm going to let you explain to everyone what you went through this weekend. Because when I say back from the dead, that's what you said to me. You texted me Sunday, and you're like, I'm back. I'm like, back from what? From the dead, is what you said. So explain to everyone uh, exactly what you went through this weekend.
2: Oh, I had the stomach bug that is going around, and it was horrible. I have not been that sick in probably... 15, 16 years. I mean, I told you texted me You to just kill me. Yeah,
1: you texted me on Saturday and said, I want to die. And yes. I was like, oh, shut up. You're like, no, seriously, I would rather be dead right now.
2: But it's strange how it really lasts like 24 hours and then you're fine.
1: I saw you on Friday night. So I, that's yeah. why I was like, what? On Saturday morning, you know, we're getting ready to go tailgate and everything. And you text me like, I'm not coming. I was like, what?
2: No, dead, dead to the world. So like
1: you just, when you got home Friday night?
2: Like 1 a.m. on Saturday morning.
1: This wasn't a partying thing you no. sure it wasn't that you're no. not the party animal guys I know you don't no. know if you, if you knew Charlie off off air I guess um fair to say you're just not the party animal
2: I mean I know how to control myself I'm not mm-hmm. I, I don't ever you can want have a to good be time sick. but I don't yes. ever want to be sick yeah. like that
1: you're not 17 anymore
2: 17 or, uh, sh-
1: okay uh 22 anymore <laughs> Charlie would never have done that when she was no, seventeen. Never, never, never.
2: But yeah, I am back from the dead, and um, I am here and ready to go.
1: You, um, you felt guilty because I know you didn't make the game. Which no, I, I, I almost died no. when you didn't make the game because when you told me you weren't going to go to the game because what has it been? It's been I feel like over a decade since you've not been to a Georgia game, home Other away. Other than
2: the pandemic games, yeah.
1: But you still went to a bunch of the pandemic. Like you went yeah. to Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I was just like. This—that's when I knew that like, you weren't kidding. I thought maybe she just drank was too feeling, much last night. No, I like, was you,
2: feeling better by Saturday afternoon, but then I dropped some people off at the game, and I got look home at you being the trooper. And you it are. was like, no, I want to go lie on the bathroom floor again. That type of that's situation. Tough. And then you yeah. woke up
1: Sunday magically, and poof, you're ready Sunday, to go.
2: Sunday, ready to go.
1: So like, 20—that's that, a real thing in 24-hour bug. I've never—I don't. Maybe I've had that before. I, I don't woke know. up
2: in the middle of the night. I
1: swear to God, Charlie, I got that because I was around you on Friday night. I swear to God.
2: I woke up. I would have like, had it
1: by now, though, right?
2: I would think. Probably?
1: I, I don't would know. think.
2: I mean, I hope, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Oh, man. No, but it was like, I think I did the math, like 25 and a half hours, and I was fine.
1: I guess that's almost the definition of the 24 yeah, hour bug.
2: It was, whew.
1: I'm sorry. I knew that was rough. Because, like, again, guys, I'm serious. Charlie did not go to a Georgia football game. Uh, I, I've never, I don't think since I'm, have you ever not gone to a Georgia game? Like I don't even know. Not,
2: like, no, not because I was like sick or anything like that.
1: Or ever, just for any reason. Yeah. Like it's yeah. That, that's what I, I was like, oh, she really must be dying. I thought maybe you were just milking it. Maybe you had a little too much to drink. And you didn't want to admit it. And I was like, no, I think she might be dying.
2: Because no. that's that's. Tough. I mean, I didn't eat anything on Saturday. Really. Yeah, I had like three Aids and a yogurt or something, right, that's and that real. was all I could that's real. handle.
1: Well, I'm glad that you're back among the living. And uh, you go to South Carolina this weekend, just in time. You're healed, just in time to go to your favorite. No, you don't hate that that much. Uh, no,
2: it's a nice, easy, short drive. You know, I do think Columbia, South
1: Carolina, gets a little bit. I mean, I know it's, it's I hate, a, a this, team that we play, and no one likes them, so we like to make fun of it because that's just what fans do. But I don't the think it's stadium terrible. Stadium
2: is far away. Yeah, I hate
1: that. It, like if you have to walk down there, yeah. like it's we. I've done that in the rain. I've done it when it's ninety-seven thousand degrees. That's like
2: inconvenient, but they, it's a nice town for a week. It's, it's
1: gotten better over the years. The Vista area is nice. Five points is all right. So nice. its, it's, it's you're, right, you're right. It's a quick trip. Not too bad. I know you like quick trips. I know you don't like the, the crazy long trips. Like Mizzou in a couple weeks. Correct. But I do think that's the second best SC town, SEC town in the entire league. But anyway, Charlie, we are not here to talk about your illness and the fact that you almost died. I'm glad that you're alive. We have questions to answer. So I've gotten a chance now to go back and rewatch the game a couple of times And have some more thoughts to offer that maybe didn't quite make the instant reaction recap episode that Curtis and I recorded on Sunday. So uh, we got a lot of questions today, Charlie. Where are we starting?
2: All right, we're going to start with our big picture question of the day. So on last week's mailbag episode, Mm -hmm. Tyler, you said that you thought Georgia should be ranked number one. I did. Like many people after the dominant win over Oregon...
1: Common sense, Charlie.
2: Yeah, the AP poll voters didn't agree with you last week. Idiots. But after Alabama's narrow and controversial win over Texas this past weekend, you got your wish, and the dogs are now elevated to the number one spot in the AP rankings. This week, though, Sam wants to know if you're willing to go out on an even bigger limb Ooh. he wants to know after what you saw this weekend should georgia be the betting favorite to win the national title oh,
1: betting favorite i love this question i will get to it in just one second i have to ask you a question were you conscious mm-hmm. enough you mentioned the alabama game and the you said controversial victory were you conscious enough to watch any of that
2: i was watching it
1: Did you see the safety that wasn't a safety, that was almost a safety, that should have been a safety, but wasn't a safety?
2: I saw it and I got really annoyed because I wasn't feeling well, obviously. And it was like, just make a decision. But also, how did you come up with that answer?
1: I've truly never seen. I watch a lot of football, Charlie. Many years of doing this. I'm an old man now. I've never seen a a, a full-on officiating sequence that ridiculous. To, to call it, because when I heard them call the play, and they said, it's 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 a it's roughing the passer with targeting. When you say roughing the passer with targeting, even if you remove the targeting, which it was the worst targeting call I've ever seen in my life. I don't even understand what they were looking at. It still should have been a personal, or should have been roughing the passer, personal foul, first down. And then you come back and say, oh, my bad. I I heard him wrong. I misunderstood him. Like, it was communicated wrong to me. What? And then it, it was an incomplete pass, but here's the thing, Charlie. Here's why it should have been a safety. It's intentional grounding. The ball did not get back from the line of scrimmage. I'm not even convinced that he was outside the pocket. So it still should have been a safety. That would have changed game. I'm not saying Texas 100% would have won, but probably would have won that game. But uh, does anybody other than Alabama get that call? No, no. That's just that's that's part of being Alabama. You get those kind of calls, and I, I was shocked, but then like not shocked. I just I was shocked at the incompetence of the officiating, which I shouldn't be because that's just kind of how officiating works but yeah that was tough that was tough but anyway should georgia be the betting favorite to win the national title charlie thank you for giving me credit for saying that we should be number 1 last week and you're right the idiots that voted on these things did not agree which i don't understand why but that's fine they're st- stuck with their preconceived notions and it takes something like this alabama in a game where i mean they didn't they didn't lose but they i think should have lost this game i guess you got to give them credit for that final drive going down there kick the field goal but they did not look good and now of course Georgia has been elevated to number one in the AP poll, which, does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. I just like for people to get things right, and I know this is subjective, but I mean, come on. Like, right now through two games, I don't know how you can argue with Georgia being number one. Now, this is a little bit more of a limb, Charlie. Should we be the betting favorite to win the national title? Well, by definition of being number one, that typically means people think you're the best team in the country, right? Yeah. And if people think you're the best team in the country, then you probably should be the betting favorite. Logically. I'm not a a genius, but I think that's... Yeah, but again, it's early in the season. Should we be the betting favorite? I think you have to say yes. I, I want to say yes because I want us to win it, but I also don't want to be seen as this of crazy homer. But I just try to give you guys what I think. I try to be a straight shooter, and I think you have to say yes right now. Mm-hmm. With the caveat of obviously our schedule is going to pick up, and there's going to be a lot more football to be played. That's for us. That's for other teams that might p- potentially be contenders. So somebody's gonna make it into this playoff. There's gonna be four teams in this playoff, and I'm not saying that we are perfect. We are not perfect by any means and that was on full display against Sanford. like we won that game easily comfortably it was never in doubt never in question we were never going to lose that game they were never going to threaten us of course but we clearly were not hitting on all cylinders especially offensively defensively I thought we played great but they were just so overmatched offensively though the execution wasn't there as Kirsten and I talked about on the recap episode so like we were clearly not perfect and we are not perfect but here's my thing for us to be this good this early and to do what we did to Oregon who I still think is a good football team we're gonna find out a lot more about Oregon maybe this week when they play BYU had a really nice win who helped me out thank you so much BYU that's another game that went to overtime Charlie I know you were dead but Jesus Christ through two weeks has college Ball not delivered
2: there was a lot going I on. I mean,
1: week one, unbelievable. All these upsets, crazy games going on. Even the games that weren't upsets, it should have been upsets, were still incredible games. I even watched every second of the Iowa-Iowa State game when I got home. And that was a... Charlie, that was a... I think it was being 13-7 or 14-7. Something like that. Another another Iowa barn burner.
2: I mean, I woke but up on unbelievable. It was I unbelievable.
1: I was just like
2: hooked to the TV. Yeah, I woke up on Sunday and I just had to look up scores because I literally got in bed on Sunday at like, or Saturday night at like 7.50. Yeah. And didn't do anything. I still haven't time. finished watching all the so games, Charlie. So I had, I, when I looked up scores, I was shocking.
1: I, tonight, I've got, on my on my agenda tonight, once we get this done recorded and I get it uploaded, I'm watching Mississippi State at Arizona. I mean, I had, I had money on that game and I don't, don't, don't spoil it for me yet, but I got to watch that game. So there's, Plenty of games still left for me to watch, but another great weekend of college football. But the schedule will pick up. And uh, here's the thing, though the schedule will get tougher. Um, I guess what my point was Oregon is, is pretty good. Uh, I think they're better. I think they're probably a 9 3, 8 4 Caliber team. We factor in the Pac 12, and we beat the holy hell out of them. But the schedule will get harder as we get in the SEC. That's obvious. But the thing is, we're also going to continue to improve. We're going to get better because for us to be this good this early with all the youth, all the experience on defense, I think that is a very, very encouraging sign. Because, again, I think we are only going to improve from here. But when it comes down to, like, right now, the information that we have to operate off of, I don't know who else it would be, like who should be the betting favorite, which I mean, if you look at most of the sports books, if you look at my bookie, for instance, they've moved Georgia to the betting favorite. And I agree, again, based off what we've seen through two weeks, and this is subject to change as we get more data, as we get more evidence, but with the data and the evidence that we have to operate off of right now, I think you have to say it's the Georgia Bulldogs. And I just don't know who else it would be. I would say, Charlie, if JJ McCarthy continues to take hold of that quarterback job at Michigan Watch out for Michigan. They are loaded on offense, and I always felt like he was the X factor. If he became good enough to take that job from Cade McNamara, the ceiling for that Michigan team, I think, gets raised tremendously. And I actually think Michigan can win the Big Ten. I think they can go into the horseshoe and beat Ohio State. I'm not predicting it's going to happen right now. I need to see more games, but it... I think if McCarthy's the guy and he's that good, then watch out. I think that could be a really, really dangerous team. They're not quite as good defensively, but they're still really, really good right now. They're, they're giving up under 10, yard, 10 points per game right now. So I would watch out for Michigan. That might be my number two team right now. But yeah, it's got to be Georgia. It's got to be Georgia's betting favorite.
2: All right. Well, obviously Saturday's performance wasn't the highest quality performance we've seen, and our players did not play to the standard that they hold themselves to, mm-hmm. or we hope they don't. Uh, Did that make
1: you vomit or the stomach bug?
2: I honestly didn't watch much of our game. What? What? I you haven't gone
1: back and watched it?
2: I'm not, not. I haven't had time. All right, homework, Charlie. Yeah. I'll, I'll I know you're busy. It. I
1: know you got things going on, but you got to get. You got to get to that.
2: And I know you talked about this a little on the recap episode, but Ben wants to know: Is he crazy for being worried about the sloppiness Saturday, or is that an re- overreaction?
1: No, Ben, you're not crazy. I mean, I didn't like the sloppiness. But I'm not like like Curtis and I were talking about like my my worry meter is at like a one after that game because I just don't think you can draw any sort of definitive conclusions off of that. Now, if we had not played as well as we did against Oregon and executed at that high of a level, which not flawless level, but like about as close to as you're going to get at the college level. I would probably be more worried. And Curtis made a good analogy. at the talking about, like, it's not Nickel State where we almost lost that game. This game was never in doubt. Sure, there were some sloppy moments here and there. And, like, but if any one of those, like, like, two or three of those change, like, we win this game, you know, 40 plus, 50 to nothing. You know, it's 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 small. It is a game of inches. And we just didn't execute to our our standard, which I think, as you said, Charlie, that's that's pretty clear there. But this is one game um, – I still feel real. I'm putting more stock in the Oregon game because that's the type of team that we're going to be playing more consistently moving forward the rest of the season. And what I saw in that game was a team hitting on all cylinders. Now, do I expect to hit on all cylinders every single game? No, but I know that we have that in us and that we can play that way. Now, clearly we have a game like this in us against Sanford, but it's also Sanford And there's context there. We were rotating far more liberally than we did against Oregon, far more liberally than I think we're going to, against South Carolina this coming week. So just a little bit of a different context there. Plus, you also factor in, guys, Chris Hatcher. I'm sure most of you probably know this. He was the guy who gave Kirby his very first coaching job. He gave him his opportunity to get into the coaching ranks at Valdosta State. That is a good close relationship and he was not going to do anything to embarrass coach Hatcher I mean that's why they agreed to go to the 12 minute clock in the fourth quarter because like he didn't want to do anything to embarrass him. now that doesn't mean we weren't trying to score we weren't trying to win we weren't trying to accomplish things of course we were that had nothing to do with necessarily with the execution but we could have made that game like if we really wanted to make a point we could have if we wanted to even despite some of those execution issues so look I, I'm not happy about the sloppiness and I don't think anyone should be happy about that and we need to clean that up for sure that cannot continue but I'm I'm really not worried about it. Maybe I should be, Charlie, but I'm, I'm not. And I don't want to say you're overreacting, Ben, because we do all care about this football team. That's why you're listening to this podcast right now. We love this team. We live, we breathe. Georgia football, we bleed red and black. I mean, it, it matters to us. So I, I do not fault you at all for being concerned because I think that means it's important to you. And I love that. I respect that. So I don't think you're crazy, but I I, I personally am not really worried at all about it.
0: All
2: right, good. Well, maybe the story of the season for Georgia to this point is the new look offense that is throwing the ball all over the field. Mm-hmm. Something new. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm not sure everyone knows this, but Georgia currently leads the SEC in passing at 395 yards per game. But despite the success of the passing game, can you say it one
1: more time, Charlie, for people who didn't hear that, for people in the back? Three hundred
2: ninety-five yards per game. I know it's
1: early in the season, but passing. damn, damn, that feels good to hear. Yeah. yeah.
2: But the running game hasn't been as dominant as we're used to. So with that in mind, Alexander asks, how concerned are you about the running game? He says, it seems like we can't line up and just run it up the middle against teams. Wants to know, are all the outside runs, pitches, and swing passes by design or because we don't believe we can line up and run the ball?
1: Yeah, this is a really good question, Alexander. Charlie, I have to ask you permission to do something. I know... You
2: may take your time and explain.
1: I know that economy of language is the new standard on this show. But I do have a lot to say about this question because, Alexander, I, I... I would be—it would be very disingenuous of me to sit here and say that I had no concerns about the running game. And maybe that's—and I've been thinking about this. Like, is that because, like, we're really, truly not good enough running the football? Or is it because I'm so used to us being, like, a dominant rushing team and it's just different? Like, I'm having a tough time adjusting to it. But I know what you're talking about, man. And I I think it's a very, very fair question to ask. I will start by saying this, though, and this is not a—like— a shot at you Alexander or anyone but but I'm just trying to think when I saw this question and kind of just thinking through it I mean you I mean you know we all know like if you're going to throw the ball more like we are right now because right now guys we're throwing the ball through two games 58 percent of the time and that's also that that includes the game against Samford a little sister of the poor which we didn't have to throw the ball at all and that's compared to last year where we ran the ball 57 percent of the time so we basically have flipped the script on our offensive play calling at least through two games we'll see how this progresses the rest of the year but I don't know why it would change based off what we've seen to this point. So when you're going to start to throw the ball more like we have this season, I mean, obviously your rushing numbers are going to take a hit. You're not going to run for as many yards. You're not going to lead the league in rushing, because we just we don't really we're still not running with a ton of tempo. At times we'll go with a little tempo, but it's it's sporadic. We don't do that consistently. It's just not like a principle of our offense. So we're still not going to run as many plays as some teams do that go like that hyper speed like Tennessee where they they might be near the top in passing and rushing because they just run that many plays. That's not really going to be us. So I think we need to start there. But, but, and here's where I kind of start to agree with you, Alexander. What I'm worried about is efficiency, okay? And what I mean by that is when we run it, are we good enough at it and dangerous enough with with our run game to force teams to respect it? And here's the key thing, to react to it. When they see the run fake do they respect that enough to actually take steps towards line of scrimmage trying to defend the run, get their eyes in the wrong place, get them off balance, get them out of position? That's what our run game needs to be able to do if indeed we are going to continue to throw the ball at the rate that we have through the first two games of the year. And again, I think that we will. I don't see why that would just automatically start changing. I think that's what this offense is going to be this season. And I'll give you an example. LSU, for example, go back to 2019. That was one of the best offenses I've ever seen. I I think most of you would agree with that, right? I'm not going to say it's the best I've ever seen, but it's up there, man. It's hard to argue against that. But that LSU rush offense, as dominant as they were in the passing game with Joe Burrow and and all all those receivers they had, their rush offense was only 60th nationally in 2019. Now, they were 31st nationally in yards per rush, but only averaging 4.88 yards per rush. Good, solid, decent, but certainly not elite by any stretch of the imagination, but that was still, again, one of the best offenses I've ever seen. What their run game did was it was good enough to pose enough of a threat to force teams to respect it, and that opened up more opportunities for the passing game. That's what our run game needs to be able to do this year. Right now, we're not averaging quite as many yards as LSU did in 2019 rushing the football. They averaged 4.88 right now through two games. We're averaging 4.54, but it's also not like a massive gulf between those two numbers. We're right there. So that's what I'm looking for from our. From our offense from our rush game we're not going to be as dominant running the football this year because that doesn't seem to be what this offense's mo is going to be what we need to be efficient and effective and explosive when we have when we do try to run it to make teams respect that but back to what i was saying though, like it, i would be very disingenuous to sit here and say like i have zero concerns i want to see us break some longer runs i mean our longest run yet on saturday was less than 20 yards I want to see us enforce our will when we want to, when we need to, when we have to. Now, we haven't really been in that situation, but when we get there, because we will at some point this season, I want to see us be able to do that. Now, as to what you're saying, I think it's true that we haven't been able to just kind of line up and run it up the middle against anybody. I mean, two games so far, but I, I would include Sanford in that. And I mean, obviously it was a complete mismatch, but part of that is context and just how teams are defending us. It's funny to watch especially Sanford. Now they had a game of tape on us against Oregon with how much we put the ball in the air in that game. They still defended us acting like it's the same old Georgia offense or all we want to do is run the football. I mean, Sanford did come on that three three five look. That's what they run, but their safeties were triggering hard against the run on any kind of run action. And we did run some RPOs against Sanford, but not near as many as week one. I think that's one of the reasons that we did not actually have as many actual rushes when it was all said and done against Oregon because we went heavy with RPOs. If we did not like the look in the box, if we felt we were outnumbered, Stetson was pulling it and throwing the football. Now all those pass plays were designed passes, called pass plays. They were RPOs where we have the option to run or throw it. And based off the looks that they were giving us, because you imagine Dan Lanning knows what we typically have done offensively, they were they were really kind of selling out against the run early in that game. we were just pulling the ball and throwing RPOs to guys wide open in space, and they were making plays out there once they got the ball in space. We did some of that against Sanford, not as much. I think that was by design, because we were trying to get that run game going a little because I don't think our coaching staff, kind of like you, Alexander, I don't think our coaching staff felt great about what we were doing in the run game when we were trying to run it against Oregon. And I, when you don't run as many RPOs, this is kind of what we ran into at times last year, when you do that when you just run the ball to run the ball you don't really have an RPO attached to it you risk getting outnumbered in the box and that's what happened against Sanford. and I know that we were just so much physically better than them but when you have more defenders in the box you do blockers and you don't actually have blockers to block those guys and you have unblocked defenders running free well there's no one to block them and they're going to make the play and that's what was happening mainly it was safeties against Sanford that were screaming downhill at the snap and we just didn't Like, we didn't have guys to account for them. They were just making plays at the line of scrimmage or in the box there, coming from that safety position. And we did not do a good enough job in the passing game of making them pay for that. We tried to throw the ball vertically vertically a couple times. Stetson missed one to Jackson Meeks, missed a couple later in the game. But we just didn't do enough in the passing game, at least vertically down the field, to make them pay for that. I think we will in the future, but against Sanford, we did not. Another thing I would add, and this is kind of an execution standpoint, I don't think, I think our offensive line is fantastic. I think they're really good. I think it's a better offensive line than we had last year. I think they're all going to get better from here. But I don't think that we're doing a good enough job of climbing to the second level on the offensive line we're doing a good job getting that initial push but getting off of those that front line and getting the second level getting off that first level getting the linebackers getting those safeties in the box that's what we need to continue to improve at because that's who's making places unblock guys to the second level and guys coming from the third level that are making these plays in line of scrimmage or, or, or just past line of scrimmage and that's something that we've got to find a way to clean up I think the RPO game can certainly help you with that and I think moving forward against better teams you will see more of that, but we do need to do a better job of climbing the second level on the offensive line. And Charlie, I promise you, I'm almost done here. I can see it in your face. You're like, oh my God, wrap this up. But the last part of this question you asked, Alexander, was why are we running so much on the perimeter and all these passes to the perimeter? Is that by design? My answer to that is yes. Um, And I think a big part of that is our tight ends. As far as I'm concerned, this is my opinion. Some of you might disagree. That's fine. I think Darnell Washington is the most devastating blocker on the entire team. Now, he's not an offensive lineman, but I mean, he probably could play tackle if he put on a couple pounds. But he is the most devastating blocker on this team. That guy's always been a great blocker. He has taken it to another level this year. I mean, he's just absolutely destroying souls on the perimeter out there. And the thing about him blocking on the perimeter is that he's almost always matched up on someone smaller than him. So when your best blocker plays on the perimeter and he's always matched up against people that are smaller than him and he's so good at blocking, you're naturally going to try to attack teams in that area, right? And blo- and I would say the same thing for Bowers to a lesser degree. I think Brock Bowers is a much improved blocker. He was a willing blocker last year, but he was a work in progress from that standpoint. He's gotten a lot better. I mean, both those guys and they are devastating guys out there in the perimeter right now so when you factor in those guys play on the edges and they're gonna be blocking guys that are smaller than them it makes sense to try to attack those those parts of the fields and just in general offensive football in the modern age has become more about attacking space than anything and that's what we're trying to do a better job of this year one of the issues that I've had in the past is you know we, we ran too many condensed sets and I know we do that for angles in the blocking game and all that and I understand why we do it but you're just running into massive bodies, and that's it. fine. Occasionally, you'll break out of there. But I I felt like we need to do a better job of attacking space because that's what modern football has become. These teams that are putting up massive numbers offensively, like we are this year, have just done a better job of us than attacking space. And it's clear that Todd Munkin, that was a mission of his throughout the offseason, whether that's in the RPO game, the screen game, whatever it is. And uh, I think you're seeing the, the fruits of that through the first two weeks of the season. All right, Charlie, I'm done. Is that Was that too long? I
0: was
2: fine. All right, I'm going to
1: be far briefer briefers is that a word? Far more brief? Yes. Far more economical. There okay. you go. There you go. Alright,
2: well let's stick with the passing game theme for one more question. Ashton has crunched the numbers and says that Stiquavius Bennett is on pace for over... Did you insert
1: Staquavius or is that the question?
2: I think that was the question. Okay, Stiquavius right. Bennett, okay. That he's on pace for 4,300 passing yards so far. Do you see him reaching this number? Might it depend on how many games we play? If there's fourteen to fifteen, yeah. based on the evidence we have to operate off right now. What do you think?
1: I mean, I, I think it's still so early in the season, but all I can do is go off the information that we have right now. And Charlie, the information we have right now is that we're gonna throw the football a lot this year. And that could change. I just I don't see why it would when we have had the amount of success that we've had throwing the football right now. Why would that change? Oh, knock on wood, injuries could certainly play a factor in that like it did last year, but I don't think it's going to change. And as poorly as Stetson played, and, and that, that's not fair to him, he missed some throws. All in all, I thought Stetson played a pretty solid game. It wasn't as good as he played against Oregon. By no means was he as good as he was against Oregon, obviously. But I, I still think it was a solid game. He still threw for 300 yards, still a 70% completion percentage. So if if that's a bad game now for Stetson Bennett, then yeah, I think he's going to surpass that number, which is crazy. Kind of crazy when you think about it because even I, I mean, a guy who kind of defended him through the entire offseason, I, if you asked me this three, four weeks ago, I would have said, "Mm, no, no, maybe 3,500 yards, but over 4,000, I don't know if I see that. But right now, I mean, you're right. He's on pace for that. That's, but by my calculations, he's on pace for 4,300 yards through 13 games. If we play 14 or 15, and there's no guarantee, but if we play 14 games at least, I think, yeah, based on the pace he's on, certainly now the schedule will pick up but again, I go back to Oregon I think they're a pretty good football team now they have a lot of new guys and that's certainly factored into how much we were able to dominate them but uh yeah I think Stetson can be a guy that averages 300 yards a game if this offense continues to the pace that, that it is right now so yeah you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna go limit it I, I feel kind of weird saying it but based off what I've seen at this point which is all I can operate off of I think the answer is yes especially if we play 14 or 15 games
2: all right, well, the offensive line has looked really good through the first two games, but the coaching staff has been willing to rotate players in and out more at those positions than they have in the past, right? Yeah. You notice noticed this?
1: Yeah, we've got about seven guys rotating on a regular basis. Yeah,
2: so Jamie wants to know your thoughts on the offensive line rotation. He likes it as
0: well.
1: Hey, Jamie, I love it. Kirby was kind of asked this question or asked a question related to this in his post-game press conferences. He was asked, essentially, like, are you worried about the offensive line like, not gelling with all these guys that you're rotating it out? And Kirby was kind of incredulous. He was like, he didn't want to be rude, but he was like, it's one of those things where Kirby, he knows that he knows more football than all these guys asking him questions. And he tries really, really hard sometimes to, like, not show in his face that he's smarter than you are, at least when it comes to football. Sometimes he cannot help himself. And it was kind of one of those cases, like, he answered the question, but he was like more or less you know I, I don't buy into that kind of stuff I don't buy into that. I never believed in that and it's like you know what Kirby you're kind of right like who cares if somebody that's playing next to you is a different guy does it really matter all that much so I don't think it's hurt us I'll say that and what we're trying to do is we're trying to number one we're trying to keep guys on this team we have a lot of guys that we believe And in, in the age of the transfer portal you've got these highly rated guys like Amarius Mims you've got to play them when he's good enough to play for you and he might not be the most experienced guy like a right tackle Warren McClendon basically as a a third year starter but he's good enough to play you got to play him or he's going to leave I mean, this guy entered the transfer portal during the spring and came back and we're lucky that he came back because this dude is awesome so I have no problem with it I don't and it's clearly not hurt our offense and all these guys can play now if we're playing a guy that's not that should not be out there then yeah, I'd have a problem with it. But all these guys complaints It's about trying to find who your best five are. Even it, and Look, it might be seven guys that are rotating all year long. It might be the case all season long. And I'm fine with that as long as the production is there. Right now, the production is there. And I'll say this. I think Marius Mims might be better than Warren. Not might. I think he is better than Warren McClendon. The problem is Warren McClendon's a third-year starter. and I don't know how you bench the guy. He's a leader on your team, leader on your offense. That's a really tough spot to be in. I think the answer is maybe you just keep playing them both. But I think... If Amarius Mims continues to play at the level he's playing at, because that dude is a first-round draft pick. He is a physical freak, and the more he plays, the better he's going to get. And if if he continues to improve, which I fully expect him to, I just think he's going to eat into those snaps at right tackle more and more and more. And that's not to say Warren's not good. Warren is very, very good. But his ceiling, his physical ceiling, is just not what Mims' is. is. And I think Mims is making a case right now, Charlie. I think he's making a case to be that guy at right tackle. We'll see how that transpires. Something to watch the rest of the season. All right. All right. Before we, I know we got a bunch more questions. Before we move on, is it okay? I take a quick minute to Absolutely. tell everyone about my bookie. Yep. Charlie, I know we'll recap this on the uh, the pick show later this week. Have you have you crunched the numbers on how we did this past weekend?
2: Um. I know. I didn't do well.
1: I think you did. I kept watching games. I was like, "Oh, Charlie won this one. Charlie won that I think one." I
2: was like four and six.
1: No, I think All you were of better All of my than
2: overs that. missed.
1: I think you were better than that. Well, it was a low score. Yeah, and you were talking. What were you saying? Life's too short to take the over. That's
2: what some people say. No, no, but no, no. no. Life's too short
1: to make losing bets, Charlie. But
2: my under hit.
1: What?
2: So, you, you
1: take what you believe in. Yeah. Don't just, don't take do the principal play. Of it was a
2: low-scoring weekend, though. Abnormally yeah, for, low. For, yeah,
1: for for some of these big games. Um, I don't have my official numbers. We'll get to that on, on Thursday, Friday, whenever we record the show. But I feel like mine are pretty good. I, I Based on my informal count, like, well, at least my 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 betting account charlie tells me that i made a little bit of a profit and that's what we're here to do guys we're here to try to help you guys make some money this season and the best place to do that is with our friends at my bookie and they have every kind of bet you can imagine charlie was talking about her uh, her point totals which did not play out so you have point totals you have team totals which i actually made more money off team totals this weekend than anything else but of course you have your spreads you have prop bets Anything and everything you want to bet on, college ball related, heck, sports related, MyBookie is the place to go. They have easy deposit methods, easy payout methods. And look, if you guys listen to this show, you're going to make some money, so you need to get those payouts. And my bookie makes it easy and simple for you guys to get that money once you win it. And right now, as I told you guys at the outset of the show, they are offering all of our listeners through the month of September, which Charlie, I feel like is rapidly disappearing. Like We're almost mid-September. And that's weird. I think it was like yesterday was September 1st. But through the month of September, don't wait now, guys. Through this month, they are going to be offering you a 100% deposit bonus exclusive for listeners of the Glory UGA podcast. It's very simple. All you have to do is use the promo code UGA and they will double that initial deposit for all new users. So take advantage of that opportunity right now. Bet anytime, anywhere, on anything with my bookie.
2: Okay, so another one of the early storylines of Georgia's season has been the production of the team's young and largely inexperienced defense. So another stat for you guys is Georgia currently leads the entire country again in scoring defense, only giving up one and a half points per game. That won't last, but it's beautiful to see through two games. But the dogs are also tied for last in the country with only one sack on the season. So Christopher wants to know, should he be concerned that we have only recorded a single sack? And that was this past weekend. Oh,
1: I mean, yes and no. It's a tough question. Curtis and I kind of touched on this a little bit in the recap episode, but I'll go into some more detail here now that I've had a, another chance to go back, you know, actually two more chances to go back and rewatch the game. But the way I look at it is sacks are a means to an end, right, Charlie? Sacks, in and of themselves, are not the goal. Correct. They are something that will help you accomplish the goal, which is keeping your opponent from scoring and winning football games. But I, saying that, I also understand. That the schedule will get tougher, and we're going to need to find ways to affect the quarterback more consistently and disrupt things back there. Negative yardage plays are huge for defense. The offense, obviously, as you can imagine, the uh, offensive touchdown percentages go way down, significantly drop. When you have negative plays and our negative yardage plays in, in any given drive, so we need to find a way to do that. And, I, and I've been pretty open with my concerns through the first couple of weeks, and even go back in the early parts of the, the late parts of the offseason of how we we're going to generate that pass rush because we did that primary last year over seventy percent of our blitz packages were inside linebackers, and our staff did a fantastic job of identifying our best pass rushers as our inside linebackers, especially once Adam Anderson went out, but even before that, but especially once he went out, and we just utilized those guys rushing the passer to a degree that we never have before and my question this season is who are those guys like who is our coaches have identified as the best pass rushers on the team? And I, I don't know. I, I think Michael Williams could potentially be that guy. I think our inside linebackers, as they get more experience, I think they're going to improve on that. I think Smile Mondin has the athleticism to be that guy. I liked what I saw from Pop, actually, rushing the pass through a little bit against Sanford, but I don't know what you want to draw from that. Xavion um, Sori is a guy we've talked about. It was a, a pass rusher coming out of high school, or did more of that than most of our inside linebackers. He's coming in on third down packages as, as a pass rusher. So I, I don't know. I think we're going to have to get more pass rush from our defensive line this year because, you know, Jordan Davis, as good as he was, was not a, a pass rusher extraordinary. and he was explosive at times. I mean, for a guy that size, he was explosive. But, I mean, Jalen Carter playing more snaps will help us from the interior because he is that dude. Warren Brinson, I've really liked what I've seen from him rushing the pass. He keeps winning those one-on-one reps. And, and Devontae White did a really good job of that for us last year. I think we have more guys along, along the defensive line that can win one-on-one battles uh, I just don't think that we have the space eaters, to, you know, to defend against the run, but should you be concerned? Again, yes and no. Like, so far, we've only had one sack, but we're also number one in the country in in points per game allowed in scoring defense, only 1.5. Now, that's not, that's going to change, and we do have to rush the passer better, but again, it's we're just gonna have to do it differently this year. And that's what I've been saying all along is we're gonna have to do it differently. My question is, what is that differently gonna look like? We don't really know yet. We saw a little bit of against Oregon, but that's not really a good indication of how we're gonna try to rush the pass for the rest of the year because we just defend Bo Nick's in a little bit of a different way. And then it was also, you know, especially against Sanford, It was kind of circumstantial, you know, based on the context of that game. They were clearly trying to protect their quarterback and get the ball out of his hands because they knew that they could simply not block us. I mean, you guys saw Jalen Carter a couple times, about to break him in half. I think Hire was his name, about to break that dude in half. And they were just trying to to save his life and get the ball out of his hands. So we just really have opportunities to do that. Michael Williams got the one. He should have had another one. But I, I think when we get further in the schedule... Teams are going to play us a little bit different. They're going to they're going to do more of a drop-back passing. I think we we'll gonna have more opportunities, and I think our coaches are going to get more comfortable and familiar with our personnel and have a better idea of who we want to use and how we want to go, back, go about trying to pressure the quarterback, which I don't know. I don't have the answer right now. I need to see it. I have some ideas, but I need to see that first. But I don't think you're crazy for being concerned about that. I think that's something that we need to answer here moving forward.
2: Okay, well, if those sack numbers are going to improve, it will likely come from someone in the front seven. Right. So along those lines, Darren asks, now that we have two games of film on our front seven, who is impressing you? And how do you see this panning out the remainder of the season?
1: Yeah, good question. I mentioned a couple of those guys. Let's start on the defensive line. I mean, Jalen Carter, obviously, he's his numbers might not be there right now. But, again, that's a, a big function of how – of who we're playing, more or less, and how they've kind of been operating offensively. Those numbers are going to go up, and I think he's going to be a big-time player. For us. He is a big-time player. He's not going to be. He is. I mean, they they simply... It was like Godzilla playing with action figures. I think that's what I said in the recap episode, and that's, that's kind of what I saw out there against Samford. Um, he's going to be a big-time player for us. We know that. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. I've liked what I've seen from Warren Princeton as a pass rusher coming in, especially on third-down situations. Michael Williams the guy that's only going to get better. He is the sole, he's the one player with the sack. Our sole single sack right now is for Michael Williams. He's only going to get better. Um, Zion Logue hasn't played as much. Nazir Stackhouse has done a pretty good job at playing that. He's kind of trying to play the nose guard position. He's obviously not the same guy as Jordan Davis, but I do think he gives maybe a little bit more of a pass rush from that position. And also in the front seven, our inside linebackers, I I love what I've seen from Smile And This guy oozes athleticism. I had no doubt about his talent level, his athletic ability coming into the season. It was obviously just the experience. And he made some mistakes in week one, but I thought he played much better. He's doing a great job of flying around the football. I think Pop is just a really strong presence there for us. I think Ryan Davis is a guy that's actually playing a fair amount. He's in the rotation right now, which I wasn't sure he was going to be, to be honest with you. But he's in that rotation. I think he's doing a pretty good job. But all of our inside linebackers have flashed at times. They've impressed me at times. You know, Tresman Marshall, I thought he played pretty well in the first game, didn't play as much against Sam. He only had a couple of snaps here and there. But I really like what I've seen from Smile, uh, of course, Jalen Carter, and I think uh, Warren Brinson on the defensive line has also been a guy that's been a very pleasant surprise for us.
2: After Bama's lackluster offensive performance against Texas on Saturday, Brandon wants to know, is it crazy for him to say UGA has more talented and a deeper receiver room than Alabama. I know exactly what you're going to
1: say. I mean, no, Brandon, that's not crazy you said that. In fact, I said that last week, Charlie, did I not? On I, this, was, I think this very episode. I was
2: listening to another podcast and they were talking about how Jermaine Burton looks like he was run out of Georgia, not that he left of his own volition. Huh, who told <laughs> you that? I know. Yeah, I know. We know. We know that you've said it. You've said it many times. But no, I
1: I got killed this offseason, Charlie. On social media, when I would pose those questions, like when Jermaine Burton was first team All-SEC, as voted by the media at SEC Media Days... I put that out there and I was like, I don't even remember what I said, but I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Are you serious right now? And everyone coming out of the woodwork saying, dude, you're just, it's just sour grapes, man. Like you're just mad your offense sucks. Like Burton's going to come to Alabama to put up massive numbers. I'm like, he'll probably put up better numbers because Bama's offense, at least what we knew of Bama's offense compared to what we knew of Georgia's offense was that they're going to throw the ball more. But, I've said it since he transferred. This is not a shot at Jermaine Bird. I'm not trying to get a shot at the guy. This is not sour grapes. I wish him the best as long as he's not playing Georgia. I really do. I have no ill will towards the guy, but I also watched him play for two years here at Georgia. He ain't that guy. He is not that guy. He is not an alpha number one wide receiver. At least he hasn't been at this point in his career, a la Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle or Jamison Williams from last year. He's not that guy. It doesn't mean he's not a good player. He is a good player, but he's a complimentary piece. He is not that guy. And the Alabama fans spent the entire offseason just you know, laughing at us because, oh, you know, he left you because, you know, you guys suck. Your offense is terrible. It's like, um uh, okay if that's what you want to think that's fine I was trying to tell people no one listen to me they just call me out call me a homer call it sour grapes whatever I told you guys he's a good player he is not that dude so that's one player though um they have some guys I think I think Brooks is a pretty good player uh, Tyler Harrell, he didn't play on Saturday against Texas. I thought he might be the guy that ended up being the number one receiver because he's got that kind of speed, that explosiveness that those Alabama receivers, those number one guys, those alpha guys have had the past couple years have had, which I don't think Burton has. I don't think he has that extra get up. He's a, he's fast enough, but he's, not, he's just not that kind of guy. I thought Harrell might be that guy, but I'm not sure what's going on with him. He didn't play, but if you look at who we have, if you factor in tight ends, Charlie, which I kind of do. I know they're not receivers, but we're talking about pass catchers, the passing game. If you throw in our tight ends, along with A.D. Mitchell and Ladd McConkey, yeah, I, I think clearly our passing game, our, our options in the pass game as pass catchers are superior to what Alabama has this year. Now, does that mean it's going to be the rule moving forward? No, I'm not saying that. But in this isolated year, I feel very confident saying that. I think you're exactly right, Brandon. I totally agree,
2: 100%. Okay. Well, sticking with the wide receiver position for just one more question, Chad wants to know: Do you think Dylan Bell will get reps over receivers like Marcus Roseme and Dominic Blaylock?
1: Yeah, good question. I uh, I'm high on Dylan Bell, and uh, we haven't seen a ton of him. Got to see a little bit on Saturday. I was really excited for him to get that first touchdown. And he's another guy. As he gets more and more and more reps, he's going to get better. I mean, I know the coaching staff is very high on him. We heard the, the rumors coming out of fall camp, the word. I was talking to some people around the program, and they were telling me a lot of the same things. This guy is going to be the real deal. And he wasn't even here for spring practice, guys. So he's only been, he's been on campus for a couple of months. And he's already making ways, making plays for us. I, I, Well, first off, he doesn't... He kind of already is playing ahead of dominant Blair, but they don't play the same position. Dom's a primarily a slot receiver. He's basically behind Lad. Um, Bell is not a slot receiver. He came in. He, he's playing. He's playing. He was playing the X when AD went down. So that's a little bit of a different position. I know they both play receivers, but a different receiver position. I I don't know. I, it, it wouldn't shock me if he continues to progress that he might play over Marcus over Rosemy. But I'll say this about Marcus. Um, the coaches love him. He's a leader on this team. Fantastic young man. I've never met him, but that's what I'm told. Um, and he, I, I honestly, I, I really liked Marcus Rose when he came out of high school. And you remember back in 2020, he was making, he was starting to really come on. And then he had that gruesome injury against Ford. Remember that one, Charlie? That gruesome injury where you like his yes. leg fell off, basically. Awful. Like, he was god-awful. And He was not the same guy last year. He was back and playing, but he, he, he just didn't seem like the same guy. Maybe I'm wrong there, he just didn't seem like it. I and we haven't seen a ton from him making plays in the passing game, but I saw him do that a lot in high school. I know that's a totally different game. I think he can be a really good receiver for us. I still believe in him. Is he going to be a number one guy for us? No, I don't think he's going to be that guy for us, but he can definitely be a really good, solid contributor to that position. So I'm not like closing the door on Dylan Bell playing over Marcus Roseme if he continues to improve, but like he's going to have to be clearly better than Marcus. And it, and that's possible and if he is, sure, but right now I'm probably going to stick with Roseme. Leadership, experience, coaches, trust me, he's also a really good blocker on the perimeter. Um, I think he's a better receiver than, than maybe he's shown through the past year or so.
2: Okay. Well, a lot was made of Georgia's tight end room coming into the season, but through two games, it's only been really Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington getting the vast majority of the reps. So Garrett wants to know about Eric Gilbert and asks, what's your opinion on why Eric Gilbert has seen so few So snaps? you're an Eric
1: Gilbert guy? Gal? Eric is how you're pronouncing it?
2: Eric. I've heard it Eric. nineteen
1: different ways. I every time I we'll think i will go
2: with a Gilbert.
1: Gilbert. Every time I think I've got it down, I hear somebody else say it differently. Yeah. I don't know.
2: So Gilbert, why has he had so few snaps over the first two games? Is it a scheme issue, physical shape, outplayed, less time in the program? What's your take?
1: Yeah, I mean, Charles, sure, I think the answer is probably a little bit of all those things, but I think the biggest factor here is that Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington are just that good. I think that's really what it comes down to. And Curtis and I were talking all you know during the offseason leading into the season that we um, we wanted to see us cut down the rotation of receiver and tight end more, especially receiver. I mean, we didn't talk as much about tight end, but my point was not that we should only play you know three guys a receiver and that's all we play. And that's not what I'm saying. It's not what I was saying. What I'm trying to say is that we need to have our best players on the field more consistently. And I don't think that we did that. I mean, we kept Brock on the field for the most part last year, but receiver really didn't. And that's one of the things I was really encouraged to see week one against Oregon, which was a quality opponent, obviously. We cut down our rotation, it, it was shorter at, at receiver and tight end. I think that's what you're seeing right now is that Brock and Darnell are just so good right now that our coaches don't want them off the field. And it's not to say that Gilbert isn't good, it's not to say that Oscar Dup is not good. I was probably more surprised to see Oscar Dup get in over Gilbert than I was. You know, anything. I, I thought he would be the clear number three guy. But, I, and that, that's coming from a guy who was very high on Oscar Delp. But I think he's going to be a really, really good player for us at that position. But right now, both those guys, Gilbert and Delp, just aren't really particularly close to where Bowers and Washington are. And at times you're going to have to spell these guys. Of course, they're going to have to. But those guys are so good, speaking of Washington and, and, and Bowers, that they have to be on the field. They just simply have to, be, whether it's the passing game, whether it's the blocking game, the run game. They're just that good. I think that's the biggest thing here. Now, Gilbert did have to get his body in shape, but he's done that. His body looks good right now. Um, I, I think schematically, it was a scheme issue. Maybe just understanding the systems. You have to remember this guy. One of the things we said last year or last week, he was away from football for essentially you know a year, a full, at least a full calendar year. More than that, really a year and a half because he didn't really do spring practice back going into the the 2021 season. So about a year and a half of football that this guy just wasn't really involved. And it takes some time to get caught back up on things, and with our scheme. Because you know, he came from LSU, he didn't start here at Georgia. So that's a part of it too. But really, I think it comes down to it. it's more so that Bowers and, and Darnell are just that good. Those guys, those guys can play, Charlie. And I know we have a couple more questions. Can we take one more quick break, Charlie?
2: Absolutely. All right, let's
1: talk about our good people at, uh, at Alumni Hall. Have you been in there recently?
2: I have not, but I need to go this week.
1: Well, you were dying, so you have you have an excuse. I actually, I was in there last week. I'm going to go again this week. The, the new, uh, did you see Charlie? The new Nike shoes. The they used to call Week Zero shoes, but now they're not released on Week Zero because I guess supply chain issues. Have you seen them? I have not. Uh, you want to take a guess of what color they are?
2: Are they red? They are red. Mm. They
1: are bright Georgia fire engine red, and that's a, about what they are. They're you like know, a white little outline of, of a Nike check, which I know that's too uh, gaudy for you.
2: It's just I, I prefer um, black.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do too. I think black, I mean, it goes with more, right? But hey, there's something about having those nice, shiny red shoes on. Like you tell everyone, hey, I'm a Georgia guy. You announce it loud and proud. And they are going on sale this Wednesday at 10 a.m. at Alumni Hall. Now, they don't have a limited supply. So they're only going to be on sale in store so try to make your way. If you're in the Athens area, you're in luck. If not, maybe make a special trip there because they'll have you guys covered. Tell them Glory Jay sent you. And while you're there, you can pick up some game day gear, whether it's it's uh, you know a nice new polo, new belt, uh, some tailgating gear, whatever it is that you want. Trust me, they're going to have you guys hooked up, ready to go. So check them out today because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. You're a podcast
0: listener, and this is a podcast ad.
2: All right. Our next question comes from Paul. He wants to know which police, three players—excuse me—do you expect to improve the most over the course of the season?
1: Paul, great question, man. The most—I think there's a lot of guys, especially on defense, obviously with all the youth and experience there. But who do I expect to improve the most? All right. Number one, the first guy that comes to mind is Michael Williams. A couple reasons. Number one, extraordinarily talented. Number two, Kirby simply cannot stop gushing about this guy. Every single time anyone remotely mentions Michael Williams. All this man can do is gush about his work ethic, how he's working late after practice. Kirby will be back up in his office after practice. And then Michael's out there hitting sleds, doing sprints. After a game, he's out there you know, hitting sleds, doing sprints, all those things. It's like, all right, man. like that. I like the sound of that, especially when it's a guy that talented. So Michael Williams, who's already good enough to start for us, is only going to get better and I think he's going to be a monster for us. It might be sooner rather than later. Um, obviously, the only guy with the sack on the team right now. should have had two against Sanford, actually. So he's number one on my list. I'm also going to go with Smile Mondin, staying on the defensive side of the ball. I thought he improved. It's Sanford, so. You know, you don't want to draw bad conclusions from Sanford. I, I also want to state in drawing all these positive conclusions as well. But I thought he fixed some of the things that were that were plaguing him against Oregon, some of the the mental mistakes and, and having his eyes in the wrong place and blowing coverages and things like that. It didn't really hurt us against Oregon, and we were fortunate there. I thought he did a much better job. But his athleticism, kind of like Michael Williams, is off the charts. This guy is the – he's got the goods when it comes to the, uh, the the athletic ability that he brings to the table. It's just a matter of, of growing – and learning and becoming more comfortable getting that experience and as that continues to happen I think the sky is the limit for him at inside linebacker and I, I want to throw some love to somebody on the opposite side Charlie so you know I'm going to go back to the well to a guy I talked about earlier waxing poetic about him a little bit I'm gonna go with Marius Mims at right tackle I I'm not quite ready to call it and say that he's going to take the starting job from Warren McClendon because Warren is a three-year starter, leader on this team. The coaches respect him, the team respects him. So I don't, I, I still think Warren's probably going to start all year. But if Amarius Mims continues to play the way that he's playing right now and continues to improve, he's going to eat into those snaps more and more and more. And at some point, Warren McClendon might become a starter in name only. Like he might actually start the game, but it'll be Mims if we keep training in this direction that actually plays the majority of those snaps at right tackle. Going to be very interesting to see how that battle plays out, Charlie. Okay. Is that three? That's three, right? There I we think go. so. That's three. Can you count? I, 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 I talk a lot, Charlie. Sometimes I you, lose my what? train of thought. I mean, I, I, I'm recording four episodes a week, Charlie, during the season. That's a oh, lot of talking. okay. All right. You know? All,
2: only for the listeners. All right. Well, I know you have plenty more on this game later in the week, but we do have one question looking ahead to Saturday's SEC opener against South Carolina. Trey wants to know if we dominate South Carolina and take charge of the season... Even though it's only the third game. Mm-hmm. And also, does the mailman toss for another 300 this weekend?
1: Against the Cox, the Cockaronis. Um, Yeah, I, I do think that we're going to dominate South Carolina. That was a popular upset pick. I think a lot of people are backtracking on that one right now. I was shocked to see. I mean, I know Arkansas runs the ball really well, which is a big reason why I put a hefty win total bet on them to go over 6.5. I'm not going to What? I don't want to jinx myself there. But um, South Carolina, Charlie, I know you were dead. You probably didn't see much of that game. Did you see any of it? No. You were dead. Yep. Curled up in a ball. Yep. Is that what you like in the bathtub? I'm trying to picture you right now. I wasn't in
2: the bathtub. I was on the cold tile floor.
1: I mean, is, that's the same. Uh, that's not the same no, thing. No,
2: it's not the same thing.
1: But the cold tile. Why were you like, you were hot?
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I guess that happens when you're sick. Yeah. But you get cold sometimes. I don't know.
2: Sometimes you get the chills. Yeah. It goes back hot. and forth. Right? Mm-hmm. That's a sign
1: of being sick. Yep. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. But um, yeah, if you didn't see much of that game, Charlie, um. They ran for over 300 yards on that South Carolina defense, and I felt coming the season. I mean, Cam Smith's a really good defender. He might be. He's gonna be a first round draft pick, probably a cornerback. But he went out in that game. I don't know what his stats is gonna be right now. Are we watching that the rest of, this of the week, and they're just banged up on defense right now. And that's not a recipe for a lot of success against our offense. The way that we're humming right now. I mean, I know we had you know some execution issues against Samford, but like we have weapons on offense, and it's kind of what I expect. I know it's only two games, small sample size, but from the South Carolina offense with Spencer Rattler. I know they were convinced he was their five-star savior, but through two games, early returns are like, he's kind of who I thought he was and not exactly who the Gamecock fans were at least hoping that he was going to be. Now, maybe that changes and in the home environment against the newly crowned number one team in the country. Maybe that means they're going to play entirely different. But if the team that I saw play Arkansas, I know it was a rogue game, but if that, if that team comes out there on Saturday against us, I mean it's gonna get ugly, Charlie. Now I know they'll probably play a little better, they'll be more focused, they'll be more hyped up, all those things are true. So I expect them to play better, but I don't expect to be good enough. So yes, I do expect us to to win this game pretty comfortably. Um does the mailman toss on a three hundred as I mean, especially if Cam Smith does not play at quarterback. I mean RJ Roderick is saying the guy that we can absolutely torch and take advantage of, and I think that we will, especially with our tight ends that we have. Um Their linebackers are also extraordinarily slow. I mean, they were just getting beat left and right in the pass game. And like, Arkansas did a great job attacking the perimeter in that game. We'll talk more about this later in the week because their linebackers are that slow. And what have we been doing? We actually had a question earlier, Charlie, that was like, why are we attacking the perimeter so much? Well, against South Carolina, that's what we're going to do. That's what we want to do because they ain't got the team speed. They just do not have the team speed. So I think we'll be able to do do a lot of things to hurt them on the perimeter on Saturday. Um, But I think we'll also throw the ball a lot. And um, I think... Yeah, again, like based on what we've seen so far, why can't... I mean, it's, it's going to be a tough environment, the toughest environment of the year. But Stetson's been there. He's done that. And I don't see why Stetson can't throw for 300 in this game. I'm a, I, Right now, I'll lean yes. I'll lean yes.
2: All right. Well, for our last question today, we have maybe the most random question we've ever been sent. Oh, I know I this
1: question. question. I saw this. I was like, where did that... I mean, I like it, but I don't know where it came from.
2: So Nick wants to know your thoughts on Kansas scoring 55 on West Virginia and being undefeated after two weeks.
1: My first thought is... Hell yes, because I have a over. I got a win total bet on Kansas to go over two and a half. I, I thought that they would be better this year. I'm a big believer in Lance Leipold. I mean, he's a hey, watch. I don't think he'll be the, the front runner for that job in Nebraska. But if they get turned down, by a couple guys like it wouldn't shock me to see him get that job coming over from Buffalo, coming to Kansas. And he's a really good football coach. Like He's a real coach. He's not like Les Miles, who's eating grass and has no idea what's going on at this stage in his life. Um, The guy can coach football. And I I, now I lost some money on... the. I didn't expect Kansas to win this game, but I did have them going over two and a half wins. So I like that. That helped me there. I did actually have West Virginia as one of my picks uh, to cover the 13 and a half spread. That obviously did not happen. So I wasn't happy about that, but I was more concerned about my win total because I had more money on that one. So yeah, I, I, I did like that, um, but Kansas putting up 55, like that, Kansas has had, you know, they did actually have a pretty decent offense last year, I mean, they beat Texas famously, and that was, that was a shootout, they have a really good quarterback, his name's Jalen Daniels, and he did some really good things for the end of last season, and they were, it wasn't just the Texas game last year, they were really competitive down the stretch, and almost won a couple games, they almost beat TCU, in fact, they should have beaten TCU down the stretch that, at the end of last year, so I don't think it's completely out of nowhere, if you're paying attention, the thing was, is that, not many people pay attention to Kansas football, and I can't fault you. I'm just a degenerate, and uh, I love college football, and I pay attention to all teams. I watch Mac games. I watch Sunbelt games. I watch Cusa games. I watch football when it's on. That's just kind of what I do, and so, yeah, I actually watched some Kansas late last year during the off season. and uh, I actually, to say I liked what I saw is a little bit of a stretch, but I thought they were going to have to go over two and a half wins. Now, I didn't see them winning this game, but, I, hey, Kansas is, Kansas is going to win like three or four games, and, they're not gonna get to a bowl. I don't think they're there yet, but hey, good for them. You know that's what I'll say for Kansas. Good for them. Lance Leipold is doing a good job, and he's um he's just building himself a resume to take a bigger, better job here at some point. So that's it, Charlie. That's that's all the questions for today.
2: That's it for today.
1: All right. Well, uh, Charlie, thank you for being here. I'm I'm really glad that you survived your 24 hours of death. Um,
2: thank you. Would not wish it on anyone.
1: Anyone. You well, don't have, you don't have like I a mean, mortal,
2: there might be a select few. Like a Dan few.
1: Mullen kind of guy I mean, thing. not even him. Not even oh, him. Oh, you're a better person than I am. I guess we got to have mercy on old Dan nowadays. Yeah, he did have us as the number one team in the country before all these other pollsters. So I'll give him that. I'll give him that. But anyway, guys, thank you for being here. We always appreciate that. I will be back, as Charlie said a few minutes ago. I'll be back uh, later this week, actually in a couple days, to do our full-on preview of the South Carolina Gamecocks and what we've got coming up this weekend. So make sure to check that out. I'll have you guys up to speed with what to expect from South Carolina. And then Charlie will be back with me again to wrap things up with our week three picks of the week we're trying to earn you guys some money gonna win you guys some money give you some winners so make sure to sign up at mybookie.ag right now so you guys can bet along with us this weekend but thanks for being here guys for charlie i'm tyler and as always
2: go dogs